Hello, you're listening to the Let's Talk Future podcast series presented by Oppenheimer. If you're interested in the economy, the markets, and investing in general, you've come to the right place. This series was created to fascinate and enlighten every type of investor. Curious about the latest consumer trends? How about innovations in healthcare or technology? The Let's Talk Future series definitely has you covered. Through timely and relevant conversations, we deliver some of the best thought leadership in the financial services industry. Our renowned hosts and guests explore big questions and big ideas and leave you with actionable insights. In this BioBanter edition, our panel is Michael Margolis, co-head of healthcare investment banking, Jason Fenton, co-head of healthcare equity capital markets, and Joel Sendek, head of healthcare life sciences research team. This episode was recorded on March 23rd, 2023. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back everybody to another episode of BioBanter. I'm really pleased to have two great panelists with me today. Today, we're talking about the current state of the biotech markets and thoughts on what we can expect for the rest of 2023. Clearly, it's been a very volatile start to 2023. We've just seen the SVB collapse and other banking collapses, periods of heightened volatility. Biotech continues to be negatively impacted by the broader market sentiment, which includes inflation, interest rates, and of course, the Fed policy. The biotech IPO markets remain muted with only two offerings through mid-March. Fallen activities also down for the year. While the equity markets are not closed, financings have become increasingly difficult for issuers especially for microcap and small cap companies that don't have notable clinical milestones or major milestones. With that backdrop, I'm really looking forward to hearing from Jason and Joel today. Let's begin with Jason. Sure. Thanks, Michael. As you pointed out, 2023 has been a, a very volatile year. I think we started the year in January. We saw some early, albeit smaller, M&A in the billion-dollar range. You saw three transactions at the early part of the year. And January felt like it was a reasonably good month. It came out of the JP Morgan conference, the the mood was cautiously optimistic. But as we rolled forward in the calendar, as we got to February, the markets took a turn, a significant downturn. And and just when you you thought things might not get worse in early March, we had the issues with SVB and Signature Bank. Well, we don't believe they're systemic issues to the banking system. And while we don't think they pose a, a threat in the same way that we saw in 07, 08, we do think this is likely to portend negatively on the markets as we go forward. The issues of inflation have not been solved leading into the financial crisis, and they remain unsolved. And until we see some abatement on inflation on a continued and sustained basis, our view is that investors are likely to remain with a relatively risk-off mindset. Thank you, Jason. I mean, one of the indices that investor base looks at very closely is the XBI, as well as the IBB. I'll focus more on the XBI for now. Clearly, the XBI's peak was February of 2021. Its low was in April of 2022 at around $62 per share. Today, we sit around 73. While we're up from its lows uh, last April, we're way down. What brings the XBI back, do you think? What brings the market back? What do you think investors need to see when they actually want to get back into this market? It's a great question. And I think given the growth in the overall market, there's now north of 900 publicly traded biotech companies. I think there's a little bit of investors feel overwhelmed. Right. So many companies and, and it's hard to figure out what's going on at any given time. I, I think for a while people thought maybe it was M&A. But just two weeks ago, we saw nearly 50 billion dollars of M&A in two transactions, Pfizer, Cgen, Sanofi, Prevention. And it was even it was barely talked about. Everyone was focused on SVB and Signature and the banking issues. And so to imagine a week where you can quickly gloss over almost 50 billion dollars of total value in M&A and strategic activity, 
certainly it's not strategic activity alone that gets us back. I think it's a combination of good clinical data. We've seen some of that recently, most notably yesterday with 89Bio and, the, and their data in NASH. Uh, you've seen other stories uh, in earlier parts of this year. So clinical data, I think, is a key component. And again, some of the consolidation that you've started to see, I think, will help. You've seen some of the large consolidation that I just referred to, as well as some of the smaller companies pursuing either reverse mergers or trying to figure out a path forward. I think it really is a combination of factors. I don't think there is really one single factor that gets us back to a better market. I think we need a better backdrop, as I talked about with inflation. I think we need investors to engage and, and, and feel better about the, the markets themselves. And then a combination of other factors like strategic activity and ultimately great clinical data. Now, I guess one, more, one last question for you, Jason, before Joel, I asked you a couple of questions, but you, you talked about strategic activity in M&A. And you know, there has been a perception out there about a lack of M&A. I would say it's more of a perception, especially given what we've seen over the last couple of weeks. Seijin certainly getting taken out and also prevention getting taken out as well in the same day. I guess, you know, what are your thoughts about on that point? And also, there's a perceived sense that there's a high failure rate amongst newly publicly traded companies. I'd also say there's probably some anxiety among big pharma employees and executives around the table around the new IRA bill and drug and its implications on drug pricing. And then, of course, there's this, this backdrop of a pending patent clip that we're going to see by the end of the decade with over $135 billion of revenue going off a cliff. So I'd love to hear your view here. One on the kind of the M&A market and kind of the, this perception. But also the other points that I just brought up. Sure. So on the M and A front, look, I you know I think I think there has been M and A. I think you're right. It is a perception. If you look at the year over year numbers, I don't think M and A is off significantly. If you look at you know 22 over 21, um, but but no doubt there there will need to be continued M and A. Right as you point out, there there's slowing growth at some of the large pharma and big biotech companies. There is a big patent cliff with nearly 130 billion dollars of revenue from blockbuster products coming off of patent before the end of the decade. So whether it's to fill the revenue gap or whether it's to expand the pipeline, M&A is going to need to happen. Big pharma, big biotech are going to need to look to strategic activity to enhance both pipeline and revenue growth uh, over the coming years. We, we think that will likely, we'll see more strategic activity as we roll through the year. In, in terms of the IRA bill, certainly I think investors are, are thinking about it. It's certainly created another checklist of items to think about as you do diligence. But candidly, I think the ultimate version of the IRA and long-term impact, I think, is, is still debatable. We were at a, a conference recently where, you know, venture capitalists noted, yes, it is something we take into consideration, but it's no different than the way we take into consideration trial design, regulatory path, or, or just another, it's, un, it's another factor. It hasn't fundamentally changed the way that they're making investment decisions. And so while the IRA will certainly have an impact, I think the, the exact impact is very much still TBD. Great. Well, th thank you, Jason. I'll, I'll turn to you now, Joel. I guess, you know, I brought up a couple of points, certainly around M&A. We've heard Jason talk about impact of clinical data on stock prices, which certainly is a change from last year where stocks are reacting well, like like 89Bio in the last couple of days, but other other examples too. Love to get your thoughts on some of those points here, as well as any, any other kind of relevant topics in the sector today. Yeah, thanks a lot, Michael, and thanks for uh, thanks for hosting Jason and me on this. One other comment I would make on M and A is that even though the market might not be receptive to going up just on the basis of an announced transaction or two, 
I mean, after those transactions close, and even oftentimes before the investors sell, that money is, those dollars are recycled back into the industry, especially if the owners are specific hedge funds that invest in the sector. So that's something important to note, that that could be a you know bolus of enthusiasm, so to speak, over time for the sector, even though you don't see it on the day an announcement is made. And the, and the second thing I would point out with regard to the the indices, the XBI in particular, is, you know, these days, certainly in the downturn we've seen in the last, you know, year or two, you know, those indices get pushed around when there's high correlation with the markets as interest rates are climbing and those sorts of things. And sometimes it it's better to look at individual stocks. I mean, we have countless examples where stock prices go up, you know, 50%, 60%, sometimes, you know, doubling on the basis of clinical data. And that's been happening more and more on the basis of, you know, good events. Whereas when the downturn started, oftentimes people would get disappointed because they would have positive clinical data and investors would use that in order to sell on the news. You know, we're not seeing that as much. I think there's two reasons for that. One is the fact that we aren't at these lofty valuations we were before. And number two, people do see the end is near with regard to the downturn. And finally, like we talked about at the top of the uh, podcast, a lot of these companies are on the cusp of really meaningful late stage data. And once they deliver it, investors gravitate toward those stories. So yeah, while it's disappointing to see the XBI in the low 70s, well below the high and not that much higher than the low that you mentioned, Michael, underneath that index is multiple companies that have been wildly successful and have been able to raise money. And we think there are more companies within the index that are poised for success in the future. That's great. I mean, Joel, you're in a very unique situation. I think, you know, in your position is also very unique. You spent 20 years as a sell side analyst. You spent 10 years as a CFO of four different companies. You've seen a lot of ups and downs in the marketplace. And so has Jason and myself. So you have a lot of insight to share here with the audience. Been through a lot of markets and now being the head of our, our healthcare research team, I'd love to have you kind of share with our audience kind of you know, thematically what's attractive right now. I mean, we cover over 160 companies, cover a, a number of different subsectors of biotech. I think just to share with people your thoughts, that'd be great. Sure. So since you mentioned some of my history, I, <laughs> I will bring up one little piece of it. You know, the first stock I covered when I initiated it in 1997, was a very controversial name, Genentech, and it was controversial because I was the only buy rating out there on it when I initiated. And the reason why it was so controversial is because they were developing their most uh, advanced new drug was going to be for oncology. And no one was interested in that because all the big pharma companies weren't involved with oncology because all the drugs were generic. Now, obviously, that changed dramatically over the years. But to answer your question, it seems like the oncology companies are the ones now that have come kind of full circle and they're falling out of favor a little bit. Now, we cover tons of oncology companies and there are plenty of good ones there. But if you just look at where investors seem to be gravitating toward and where there have been some really good clinical outcomes recently, it's not an oncology, you know, it might be obesity or NASH or and all these areas we cover with the eight analysts that we have. 
and we're getting more and more interest in those sorts of areas that are outside of oncology. Now, we're certainly not giving up a huge amount of innovation in um, cell therapy and, and other areas besides your traditional antibody therapy. You know, I'll end by saying that radiopharmaceuticals is one area, certainly within oncology, that has garnered a lot of interest and we anticipate a lot more in the future. No, that's, that's great. Look, I think we've talked about over the last few minutes a lot of the negativity in the marketplace. Certainly, we've had success from companies like 89Bio and others that have had positive late-stage clinical trials. I also wanted to highlight for our audience here you know, an article from Barron's from a couple of weeks back where Andy Acker, uh, I think many of you know, is the manager of their top-performing Janice Henderson Global Life Sciences Fund, talked about some several interesting art, uh, points in his article. I'm going to quote him for a minute so I don't miss any words here. And he wrote, you know, last year was a year of positive drug clinical trial data, and this year could be a year of new product launches. The FDA has 75 new medicines pending approval decisions, so this could be the year of the most product approvals of all time, as the previous high was 59 drugs back in 2018. So that sounds very exciting, right? Despite the challenges in the capital markets and the broader markets and inflation and certainly the Fed and the challenges in the broader markets, you know, my view is that innovation has never been better in our sector. And this number of late stage opportunities under FDA review is an exciting time for patients. It's an exciting time for the markets and an exciting time for companies. And I think, Joel, you, you've talked about this before with, with us. Um, this becomes a stock picker's market, right? And I think that's probably the key here going forward. Maybe you want to comment on that a bit. And certainly, Jason, feel free to jump in on that. Yeah, I think it's the reason why we're doing what we're doing at Oppenheimer and covering all the stocks that we are and adding more every single day. And, you know, I would take it a step further, Michael. I, I think, yeah, we've gotten a lot of good clinical data out. Oftentimes, after that comes out, it is reflected in the stock price. What we're working really hard on here is, you know, trying to give investors tomorrow's headlines in the sense that anticipating which of these companies that might be trading at depressed levels, sometimes even below cash, negative enterprise value, they're going to have really good results in the near term, let's say in the next couple quarters. This year, we've produced a couple of pieces of research and we'll continue to do it. We had our top picks for the year and prior to our conference and post our conference that we just held in March, you know, which of these hundreds of companies that we cover and present at our conference are really going to be the standouts this year that can move performance and once again, drive performance in portfolios of investors that might not drive the index. Because remember, the XBI is equally weighted, not market cap weighted. So the underperformance of the index as a whole drowns out the outperformance of any individual component or certainly any company not in the index. The other thing I would point out is that there are other areas to look at beyond, we kind of touched on this before, beyond just your run-of-the-mill companies that are going to do well at ASH or ASCO. And in order to anticipate that, we set up a number of events, KOL calls, and focus days on other disease areas for the rest of the year. Great. Uh, Jason, anything you want to comment uh, on, my, on my last question? No, look, I, look, I think Joel brings up a, a really good point, which is, you know, th this may, there may be winners that don't necessarily drive the index, right? This is certainly a market that has become haves and have-nots, right? The, the financings that are working and the companies that are having success are companies that can demonstrate 
you know, strong clinical data, a de-risking event, whether it's through safety or trial design or regulatory feedback or data itself. And, and those are the companies that are, that, that are winning mindshare with investors. This really has become a fight for mindshare. I think the biggest thing we hear from companies is how do we get mindshare with investors and, and the struggle to do that. It's really become about generating clinical data, showing continued advancements in, in your pipeline and, and your products. Investors are really focused on financing um, on the heels of a de-risking event, right? And so what you're seeing is those companies that can generate meaningful clinical data are getting great reception in the marketplace, not only in terms of stock reaction, which rewards investors, right? But a desire to continue funding that program because there's a clear, well-defined use of proceeds. On the other hand, you are seeing a broad swath of companies, you know, anywhere between, you know, call it approximately 200 companies on any given day that are trading at or below cash value, right? With barely any enterprise value. And I think for a while it was thought that there would be maybe lots of financings for those companies as, as investors try to find the, the diamond in the rough or the fallen angel. I think what, what's become clear in our conversations with investors is A, that becomes super challenging to do, and B, you know, of those 200 companies, there's only a very, very small handful that are probably likely to have success over the long term. And so investors are increasingly becoming discerning and that lower end of the market, the less liquid, smaller cap names are, are really the companies that are struggling the most. That, that's, that's very helpful. And next question for you, Jason, is kind of, you know, breaking out your crystal ball. When does this market turn around? I know it's so hard to predict. Probably asked the question a few months ago, you'd have a different answer. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Sure. As I said earlier, I do think this is very much tied to inflation. And so I think when we can see month after month abatement in inflation and we can see clarity with respect to Fed policy and, and maybe when there's visibility on rates. So to me, this is probably measured in a matter of months or maybe quarters. Uh, I don't necessarily know that we have another full year of, of a super challenging bear market for biotech. It's hard for me to see, given what we're seeing in the macro environment right now, a really strong, you know, enthusiastic market much before Labor Day. And obviously that could actually continue into the early part of 24. I think by the early part of 24, we are in a, a, a better market, but it might well be at this point um, a challenging balance of the year. I, I know it's we're only in the middle of March and it's hard to imagine thinking about the market being this challenging for another nine months. But I do think we have and continue to have a serious problem with inflation and a risk off mindset and not to necessarily be negative on this on this discussion. But but I'll remind folks because, you know, it feels far away at the moment. But next year is a presidential election. Right. 2024. I know it feels far away right now. You know, we will have yet another variable to contend with in 24. And that's the election. And historically, we know that elections presidential elections in particular, and the uncertainty around them can create even more volatility in the market. How about you, Joel? I want to see what your crystal ball tells you. And considering years of experience, what are your thoughts there? When does this market come back? Well, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit optimistic in the sense that, yeah, we have to deal with inflation, interest rates, but the market, the biotech market has been able to prosper and survive even in the interest rates at the level we are now, I think the difference is it's been a long time since we we're at 10 years at a 4% range. And um, I, I think we've already made that painful adjustment. I don't think there are going to be that many more uh, raises. And so that's where I see 
the downside being not as bad. Your question, however, is when we're, when are we going to come back? You know, not as optimistic as quite as optimistic on that, and I don't think we necessarily need to be. When when we find ourselves in these times, and I've I've lived through a, a number of them, and some of them can be quite long. I think we're in the second longest downturn. You know, what you see first is you know, certain green shoots, companies performing well with good clinical data. That's what I talked about before. I find that to be very, very promising. It doesn't mean the XBI is going to go up tomorrow or stay up or go to all-time highs. But when you see that, when you get positive results for investors and for companies on the basis of good outcomes, you know, good stock price moves on the basis of good fundamental news, that's always positive. We're seeing that left and right right now. What we're not seeing is that happening in the majority of the companies. In fact, we are digesting all those IPOs over the last few years. And certainly there have been some companies go away, not in the right way, not in the good way, as of in you know, M&A premiums, but sometimes you know, outright bankruptcies. But as the percentage of companies that have good news as a percentage of the total number of companies goes up, that will ultimately drive the index. That can take some time, but that doesn't mean you can't make money along the way. And that's one of the reasons why you know, we're really broadening our scope. We're, we're having the analysts work on deep dives in psychiatry and endocrine, obesity, radiopharmaceuticals, protein degradation, all these areas of intense new innovation. And that, I think, will enable us to uncover uh, stocks that are going to work in the near term and make our investors money along the way. Hey, Joel, that's terrific to hear. And I think it really highlights this amazing innovation curve that we are experiencing, despite the challenges in the broader and also some of the, the micro aspects of our, of our sector. I guess as we wind down this episode of BioBanter, I'll turn it back to, to Jason. Any parting words for the audience? And I'll pass it off to you, Joel, too, for final words. Yeah, you know, look, maybe we can try and end this on, you know, with a little bit of optimism. I think Joel and I are both pretty cautious on, on our near-term outlook. I think the good news is, while I think this may be the most difficult of bear markets we've seen in our sector, whether it's the longest or not, we can debate, but the actual fundamentals and, and maturity of the ecosystem in which we operate is as good as it's ever been. So when you take that and you think about going forward, there is plenty of capital allocated to the sector, in fact, more than, more than ever. The science and innovation that the companies that we all have talked about, that only continues to get better and better. And the advancements in drugs for patients, which ultimately is why we all do this, um, has never been any better. And so I think while we are cautious on the near term, I think over the next several years, even next decade, perhaps, I think we're very optimistic about what what's in store for our sector and what medicines we can produce for patients. Thanks, Jay. Joel? Yeah, and I'll put my uh, CFO hat on to answer that question in the sense that I hate to say it, but you know it was too easy to raise money for many years. And I think the discipline that you get as a money-losing biotech company as a result of bear markets like this actually is healthy for the sector long-term. It makes the company more streamlined. It makes them really focus on the most value-creating assets. And those are the ones that they should be working on in the first place. So as we you know, go through this painful transition, I think the individual companies and the sector as a whole uh, is going to come out stronger long term, and that will benefit 
you know, both the companies as well as the investors and the patients that both serve. Uh, thanks, Joel. And thanks, Jason. Uh, really, really want to thank you both for your time today. I really enjoyed listening to your thoughts and views on the markets. And I want to thank you, uh, everyone in our audience, for listening to today's episodes of BioBanter. Really exciting to have Joel and Jason here. I look forward to future episodes. Thanks, Michael. That's great. Thanks a lot, Michael, for hosting. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Future. We know your podcast listening options are endless, so we're glad you're spending time with us. Don't miss out on our next episode and remember to subscribe today. Join our community to expand your thoughts on business, the markets, and the dynamic forces affecting them. It's time to talk future.